When my son was probably about maybe two years old at the, the most, I had come home for lunch and was getting back in my car and getting ready to head back to the church. And he came running out the front door. And I'll never forget his words. He said, a hug and a kiss. A hug and a kiss. So I promptly jumped out of my car and walked up to that little guy and threw my arms around him as he threw his arms around me and planted a big one right on the side of his cheek and fulfilled his expectation that he had of me as his dad. A hug and a kiss. What are you expecting from God? What are you expecting from God? Often our issue is not that we are expecting too much from Him. It is that we are expecting far too little from Him. He doesn't want us to just have expectations. He wants us to have literally epic expectations of what He's going to do. God is at work literally all around us. And His calling for us is for us to join Him in what He is doing. And when we begin to live in faith, expecting Him to be at work, expecting to join Him in what He's doing, we begin to move into that realm of epic expectations of what God is doing and we begin to walk in faith and when we begin to walk in faith we will begin to walk in the miraculous. In other words we will begin to see evidences of God's presence and God's work all around us. Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. I want us to look at epic expectations that God has demonstrated through a group of guys who had some major expectations of Jesus. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. Jesus is making his first tour here of Galilee. Throughout his public ministry, he made three major tours of the northern part of Israel called Galilee. And he's making his first tour here. It's very early in his ministry. He has just called four fishermen to follow him. And they have begun that process. He has performed one of his miracles in that he has healed Peter's mother-in-law. And this story that we're going to look at takes place in the town of Capernaum at Peter's house. Luke chapter 5, we're going to begin with verse 17. And of course the passage will be up on the screen. On one of those days, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. His popularity was well known at that time. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. Now, I want you to look at that verse. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they let him down with his bed through the tiles into the mist before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins 
are forgiven you. Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees begin to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed. And go home. And immediately he rose up before them, picked up what had been lying, he had been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God, and were filled with all, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. We have seen extraordinary things today. My sermon outline is contain your bulletin. I invite you, if you will, to follow along with me. Our expectations of God drive the mission of our lives. Our expectations of the Lord God drive the mission of our lives. If I'm expecting God to show up, if I'm expecting God to be at work, if I'm expecting that I can join God in what He is doing, then I'm going to live my life with a mission and a vision. If I don't expect God to do much of anything then I'm not going to be joining God in what he's doing. In fact, I'm not even looking for God to accomplish much of anything. Now, I want you to go back to verse 17 because the whole story evolves around verse 17 and one sentence in verse 17. It says, The power of the Lord was with him to heal. Some translations would have the power of the Lord was present to heal. Now, think about that. The power of the Lord was present to heal. First of all, it says here that it was the power of God was present to heal. The power of God can accomplish in a few seconds what we can't accomplish in a lifetime. The power of God can do what no human being is able to do. His power was there to meet needs as only He could. It was the healing power of the Lord God that was present with Jesus. That power is greater than any struggle that you and I face in life. And it is ongoing power. I can't stress this enough. When Jesus rose from the dead, he walked out of that grave alive and well and oozing the power of God all over the place. And the power of God is present every day. It's not just power on Sunday. It's not just power when we decide we're going to get religious. It is the power of God operating every day. And it is power that while we are in an ongoing struggle with sin and an ongoing struggle with the things that come against us, the power of God is present in those struggles. And the power of God is there to deliver us in those struggles and through those struggles. Now notice it says it is the power of the Lord that was there. Not the power of man. It says it is the power of the Lord was present to heal. Who was this Lord? When they walked up there that day and they saw Jesus healing people, they saw Jesus touching people, they saw Jesus changing people, whose power was it? What would have gone on in their minds? Well, this was the power that had created the world. Who was this Lord that was doing the healing? Who was this Lord that the power belonged to? It is the power of God, and the power of God is always creative power. 
You go back to Genesis chapter 1, and what do you see God doing before breakfast one morning? Stepping out and creating the world. Creating the world in all of its diversity. When God went to create birds, he couldn't stop with robins. Then he had to move to cardinals. Then he had to move to something else because he couldn't stop because of all of his creativity. You look at all the diversity that we've got in our world and nature. That's because God cannot hold back on his spontaneous creativity. And so when they looked in there, and the reason the crowd was in there that day is this This was the same God who had created the world that was now touching people and healing people. He was the God who had led the children of Egypt, excuse me, the children of Israel out of Egypt and delivered them from bondage into liberation. And when they recognize that power, they recognize that it is the power of deliverance. His power is always a delivering power. His power is a power that overcomes whatever holds us in bondage. So when the power of God is present, deliverance will be possible. And deliverance is going to happen because the power of God is about deliverance. When His power is present. Who was He? He was the God who knew how to preserve. When Daniel stood up in front of the king, and he says, I will not deny my God. Nebuchadnezzar said, well, I've got to send you to a burning, fiery furnace. But to the Hebrew boys, he told that. And to Daniel, he told him, I've got to send you to the den of lions. The next morning when the king went, he expected to see nothing but bones left. And he yelled, Daniel, are you there? And Daniel yelled back and he says, I'm here and I'm in good shape because my God has protected me and preserved me. You see, all of us are going to pull some den of lions time. But the issue is never the lions that are around you. It is the God who is protecting you and the God who is preserving you. Those three boys, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, thrown into the burning fiery furnace. King walks up, looks in there. He says, I thought I threw three guys in there. But there's a fourth man walking around in there. This was a heathen king who didn't even know that God existed. And this is what he says, the the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Who was in there that day in Peter's house with the power of God on him? It was the same one who delivered Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego through the burning fiery furnace. That's the power of God. God doesn't always deliver you through from a furnace, but He will deliver you through a furnace. You can mark your life down on that. Power of God was present to heal. Think about that. The power of God was present to heal. Wherever Jesus is, the power of God is present to heal. Folks, when He shows up, He wants to heal. When He shows up, He wants to create. When He shows up, He wants to deliver. You see, what God wants for His church is not for us to gather on Sunday morning and go through a liturgy of singing and preaching and listening and giving an offering and saying we did our religious job for the day and we walk out the door. What God wants for His church is when we gather in this place that the power of God is present. 
And the power of God is present to change lives. And the power of God is present to deliver folks. And the power of God is present to reach into the broken lives of people and bring healing to them. Because that's what happens when Jesus shows up and Jesus begins to work. The power of God is present. Notice it says the power of God was present to heal. The greatest need we've got today is for inner healing in the lives of people. I'm, I'm just taken back every day at the brokenness in our culture, at the brokenness in people's lives. About 30 or 40 years ago in our country, we decided we could take God's concept and understanding of the family and throw it out the window and that we knew better than God did about how to do family. And the result has been now 40 years, a whole generation plus has grown, is growing up with all this brokenness. What do we do? Do we just wipe our hands and say, well, we can't deal with it anymore and it's overwhelming? No. We do what those guys did. We get people to Jesus. And we let Jesus start healing marriages. And we let Jesus start healing a young generation. And we let Jesus begin to work and to bring healing to homes. And we let Jesus start touching the dysfunction because he sees nothing is past his ability and power to heal. Now notice the mission of these guys. I want you to just think through this story with me. They go and they get their friend and he is paralyzed, cannot walk. So they have to put him on a stretcher. And they head to Peter's house and they get up to Peter's house. And there's a crowd there. Now think about the crowd. The power of God is present to heal. So who's going to be at the house? Sick people. Messed up people. So when they look in there into the courtyard and they, and they see the crowd, they would have seen people probably, some folks that might have had leprosy. They would have seen folks that everybody else was staying away from. They would have seen the hopeless cases in Capernaum. In other words, there was a mess in Peter's house because well people don't come to get healed. Sick people come to get healed. Oh, would you please hear me on this? The church needs to be filled of people who were sick, sick of sin, sick of guilt, sick of shame, lives that are messed up because the church is supposed to be the place not where the well people come to look down their noses at all the sick people, but where the sick people come to get touched by Jesus and healed by Jesus. The more the power of God is present in His church, the sicker the people are going to be who come in. I've had through the years people say, Pastor, I want revival. I want to see the power of God poured out. But we ain't ever ready for the people that God sends when He starts pouring out His power. Oh, I didn't know you were going to send those people in here, Lord. I feel uncomfortable sitting next to them. They might mess up my church. His church. You can't mess up his church because he takes messed up people into his church. And so he said, they looked in there, and that's the kind of folks he would have seen there in that courtyard. And they had a mission. Their mission was to get their friend to Jesus. What is the mission of your life? What drives you? What are you not going to be satisfied with till you get it? They were not going to be satisfied until their friend got to Jesus and he got healed by Jesus. Got a quote in your bulletin outline this morning. A vision that does not intimidate you insults God. A vision that does not intimidate you insults God. 
You see, the vision God has for your life and the vision that God has for us for a church is always going to be intimidating because His vision intimidates us because it requires His power. It requires His touch. When God steps up to your life and He says, I want you to serve me in this way, I've got this task for you, and we immediately say, God, I'm not up to it, and I cannot do it. Listen, that doesn't intimidate God. He is setting you up for His power and what He wants to accomplish. But when we operate out of our visions, we intimidate, we insult God. Now, what has God placed in your heart that He wants to see happen in the lives of people? These men expected God to show up. They expected Jesus to heal. And they took a risk on Jesus. That when they showed up, when they brought their friend before him, he was going to heal, he was going to touch, he was going to do something. They knew that when they got their friend in front of Jesus, they were taking a risk on Jesus, that he wouldn't get up and walk away, that he wouldn't look and say, there's nothing I can do, this is beyond me. That Jesus was going to have the compassion and the love to look down at that guy, and that Jesus was going to say, I know he's paralyzed, I know nobody can do anything for him, but there's no big sweat for me, and I'm going to heal this man. When was the last time you took a risk on God? If you live out the vision God's got for you, you're going to have to take a risk on God. But he loves for us to take risk on him because that's when we live in faith. Last Sunday, I asked you to take these prayer guides. If you haven't gotten one, they're at the doorways as you leave today. It's called Who's Your One? And we're asking you to identify one person in your life that you will begin to pray for. And this prayer guide will guide you for 30 days with specific prayers to pray for one person in your life that you want to see come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And then sometime over the next year to sit down with that person and share with them after you prayed for them about how they can come to know Jesus as their Savior. What do we expect God to do in these situations? Now, if it's all about us and what we can accomplish with that one person, then we're probably going to get defeated and give up. But I want to encourage you because as you pray for that person by name for 30 days, God's going to be at work in their lives and God's going to be touching them and God's going to be drawing them and you will see God do things in them that only God can do in response to prayer. And God will give you that opening to share the Lord with that person. Expect God to show up. Expect God to work. And notice verse 19 Expectations are going to encounter obstacles. They got there and there was that big crowd. So they realized they could not get in the house to Jesus. Then they were going to have to. They said, well, you know, maybe we can pull back the rafters of the house and lure him in there in front of Jesus. But we got to get him up the steps first. Do you know what it's like to take somebody that is paralyzed and on a cot and try to get the guy up the steps? So they are pulling this guy and trying to balance that thing. You know, they don't want to turn him over and make matters worse. And they're trying to get him up to the second floor of the house. And then when they get up there, they got to start pulling back the rafters. And the rafters in those days, you had major beams that went across the top for your roof. And then they would put branches and leaves and all that mixed in. So they had to start pulling the branches back and the leaves back and any kind of 
sediment that was in there with clay, etc., pulling all of that back to create an opening big enough. And then they had to have rope to lure him down. Look at all of the obstacles that they had. And then they were wondering, what's he going to say when we do this? I mean, Jesus is sitting in there teaching healing people, and all of a sudden, stuff's going to start falling down on people. They're going to start hearing this, and we're going to be disrupting the whole thing that's going on in there. How is he going to respond? And then they lure him down. Now, I want to submit something to you because this is the way a lot of us would have handled the situation. We would have walked up and we would have seen it and we would have said this. Well, there's a big crowd. I don't know if we can get in there. And we're going to have to go up the steps. And I don't know that we can get him up there. And then once we get him up there, we're going to have to lure him down. And that's going to be such a mess. Must not be the will of God. All the problems and the obstacles, that must be God's way of telling us not to do it. We talk about open doors and closed doors. And if God isn't opening the doors, then must not be His will. Open doors are often an excuse for the path of least resistance. You do anything for God, you're going to hit some closed doors. You try to serve Jesus in any way, you're going to run smack dab into obstacles. And when we start coating this stuff and saying it must not be the will of God, and we, God must not want us to do this, what God is trying often to say to us is this. If you would stop depending on yourself, and if you would pray through that door, if you would press in my power through that door, if you would believe me for something bigger than what you can accomplish and what you can do, then you would start seeing my power. But every time you hit an obstacle, you back off and say, God must not want me to go here. God must not want me to do this. And what you're doing is leaning on yourself instead of leaning on me. I'm putting obstacles out there. I'm allowing obstacles because I'm trying to get you to believe me for what only I can accomplish in your life and through your life. We give up far too quickly when we encounter those obstacles. Think about the leaders, God's leaders through the years. Moses got up to the Red Sea. He had the Egyptian army breathing down his neck. And what did Moses do? He didn't turn around and get on his knees before Pharaoh and his army and say, whoops, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. God must not be in this because I can't get through the Red Sea. What did he do? He stood there in front of that Red Sea and he said, God, I need you to show up. I need you to show up right now. Can't even wait five minutes. I get a, God, i got to have a miracle. i got to have a miracle right now. And God, you've got to do something nobody's ever seen before. You've got to part these waters. I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know when you've got to do it. And I know you've got to do it, and you've got to do it right now. And God was like, no big deal. And he departed the waters, and they went through, not on muddy ground, but on dry ground. He even provided a nice path, dry pathway for them to go through with the walls on either side. Because that's what God does when we face an obstacle and we believe on him. I already talked about how God shut the mouth of the lion. Remember Paul? Paul says, i got this thorn in my flesh. He says, it's a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. But what did Paul do with his thorn in the flesh? He didn't sit in the corner and feel sorry for himself. He said, the grace of God will be sufficient for me. God didn't take away the thorn, but he said, listen, as you have that thorn in yourself, my grace will be sufficient. Some of you that I'm talking to right now, you got a thorn in your life somewhere. And you are asking God to take the thorn out, and God hasn't taken it out. You have been tempted to walk away from God because the thorn, whatever that thorn is, is still there. And God is saying to you, listen, I may not take it out of your life, but I will give you grace. And my grace, my power, and my presence will be sufficient for you in the midst of 
of struggling with that thorn. And Satan is going to buffet us one way or the other if we're following him. The obstacles are going to come, but the grace of God is more than sufficient to deal with it. Oh, and I think about Jesus. Uh, so much I could say. But can you imagine on the morning of the resurrection, inside the tomb, not outside the tomb, but inside the tomb, he gets up and he's alive and he's well and he's ready to roll out of there. He takes the burial cloths and folds them up really nice and puts them on the side. Mamas, by the way, if you ever need an argument to teach your kids to make up their bed, just tell them that Jesus made up his bed when he rose from the dead, and they just find the example of Jesus when they make up their bed in the morning. So he folds up his stuff and puts it over there all nice and neat, you know, etc. But he's got one problem. There's this big, massive stone in, covering the tomb. How's he going to get out of the tomb? He's got an obstacle. Now, again, with our modern American Christianity, we'd have probably said, well, I guess i got to hang out in the tomb for the next thousand years or whatever because I can't move that stone. God said, no problem. I'm sending an earthquake and an angel to take care of it. Just hang tight, son, for about 30 seconds and you're out of here. <laughs> Folks, what God is saying to a lot of us when we feel like we're wrapped up in a tomb somewhere, is I know you, you're right here and you got a stone holding you back, but let me take care of that stone. You just believe me because the power is on the other side. What is it going to look like for you and I to dig a hole through our roof and get down to the miracle God's got waiting for us? And notice finally, God gave them more than what they bargained for, verse 20. They bring him in and they lower him right there in front of Jesus. And Jesus looks at him, and the man is hoping Jesus is going to say, you're healed. And the friends up on the roof are hoping Jesus is going to say, you're healed. And Jesus looks at him, and he says, you're forgiven. Well, we can't showed up here for a healing. We didn't show up here for forgiveness. What are you doing, Jesus? This is what Jesus did. The guy's laying in front of him. He saw spiritual paralysis that needed to be touched before the physical paralysis needed to be healed. The greatest need in that man's life was inner healing. And he spoke to the biggest need, the deepest need in that man's life. Now, I'm going to play some with this story, so hang with me. How about if that man had looked up at him and said... What you talking about, Jesus? I'm paralyzed. I couldn't walk around and do sin if I wanted to. Why are you telling me I need forgiveness? I don't need your forgiveness. I need your healing touch. That man kept his mouth shut and received what Jesus had for him. Jesus, I receive your forgiveness because I need your forgiveness. We live in a culture today that has decided often that sin doesn't exist anymore. So we don't need forgiveness because we never sinned in the first place to need forgiveness. And listen, when I won't even confess my sin and I don't think I need forgiveness, I'm going to stay in the mess that I am in. 
The best thing for you and I to do when Jesus says, I want to forgive you, is to say, Jesus, I need your forgiveness. And Jesus, I accept your forgiveness. And Jesus, I recognize that my inner healing is not going to start until I confess sin and I start getting right with you and you forgive me. You see, the concept of forgiveness in the Scriptures is deliverance and release. And he's saying, I am delivering you and I am releasing you. And then he looks at the man and he says, you're healed. Pick up your bed and walk out of here. Now, we don't catch this from our culture. But lame people in that day and age were banned from the priesthood and often excluded from full participation in the community. In other words, that guy knew he never stood a chance at being a priest because he was lame. He also, as he was lame, looked around the community and realized there were functions he was not allowed to attend. There were positions he was not allowed to serve in. He had to sort of stay at arm's length from the folks in the town and the people in the community because the law stipulated that if you were paralyzed, you were limited as to how much you can participate. I think one of the reasons that Jesus looked at that man and in a loud, commanding voice said... You were healed. Now stand up right now. Pick up your pallet you've been laying on. And walk out of here so that everybody knows that you were healed. Is what Jesus was saying to him and to everybody. If this guy wants to become a priest, I've set him up to become one. And this guy's going to walk out of this house right now into the full acceptance of this community. He is not alienated from this town and the town's people anymore. He is fully going to be integrated into this town. He is in a place that I've set him up for of acceptance. And you see, when Jesus touches us and when Jesus works in our lives, he says, you're not alienated from God anymore. You're not alienated from all the things in your life that you felt like you had to separate yourself from and you couldn't be a part of anymore. I've had folks through the years say, well, Pastor, you know, I'd love to come to church or I'd love to get right with the Lord, etc., but I just, I, I'm not good enough and I can't get in there and I can't be this and I can't be that and I can't be the other. So they constantly sit around and say, I can't get close to the God's work and to God's people because I'm just not good enough. And Jesus says, I know you are not good enough, but let me forgive you, let me heal you, let me change you, and let me clothe you in my righteousness and my goodness. And yes, you are now Good enough because it's my goodness that puts you into the family. It's my goodness that means that you are accepted. He gave them more than what they were looking for that day. And Jesus will always give you more than what you bargained for. He will always show up and work in your life and do that which only He can do. What are you expecting from God this morning. What did you come in here this morning expecting from Jesus? If you came in here this morning expecting nothing from Jesus, then can I please encourage you to start expecting big things from Jesus? What are you expecting from Jesus in your life as you leave here today? Do you need to change your expectations? Do you need to raise the bar on your expectations? Do you need to say, Lord, show me what you want to do, and I'm going to move with you I'm going to take these little small expectations. And Lord, I'm going to start living in 
epic expectations of what you can do, Jesus, and what you want to accomplish. I want to say one final thing, and I'll close. I spent the last three days working in Hampton Roads, and then yesterday in our retreat in Charlottesville on our Southampton Roads mission project for this coming summer. I met with community leaders on Thursday and Friday in Norfolk and Chesapeake. I talked with the leader of Chesapeake Redevelopment Housing that they have started a new homeless ministry. And he was telling me the, the work and help that they need in that homeless shelter that we could be a part of potentially if we go. I met with the leader of a boys and girls club who said, I got 175 kids in this club that I can open up for you to minister to when you, if you bring your team that week. I met with community leaders in Norfolk Redevelopment Housing on Friday afternoon and sat and listened to the needs that they have. Many of them overwhelmed. And as I sat there and listened to them, this verse kept rolling through my brain. The power of God was present to heal. The presence of God was present to heal. When I was pastoring in that area, we had a community we wanted to go into. And they were having all kinds of issues in that community. And we thought about counseling the vacation Bible school we were going to do in that inner city community because of the problems that they were having. But we decided we would pray over that neighborhood and we would go into that neighborhood. And there's a big feel in that neighborhood where we did the vacation Bible school. And a feel that in May and in the first part of July had been known as a feel of fear and intimidation. I remember standing there and listening to the sound of vacation Bible school songs being sung. And that field became a place of healing and a place of the power of God being poured out and of children hearing about Jesus and the power of God was present to heal. He is waiting for us to start tearing up the roof. He is waiting for us to take whatever it is and lure it before Him. And he is waiting to release his power. Folks, he didn't come out of the grave to stand around and be a nice story. He came out of the grave to do some stuff. He came out of the grave for that power to be leashed out and to touch lives and change people. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to have expectations, Jesus, of what you can accomplish and what you want to do. Help us, Lord, to live and to walk in the power that you have, Lord, expressed in your love that you want to touch us, but, God, you want to touch communities and change lives and draw people to yourself. Lord, your power is present to heal. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you've never asked him to take over and to be your Lord and to be your Savior and to change you, his power has always been outside but never inside of you. I want to invite you this morning to say, Jesus, I want to follow you. Jesus, I want to serve you. Jesus, I want to walk with you. And Jesus, I want to know your touch, that power, God. I want to know it in my life. I'm tired of living without it. 
I want to know your touch. I want to know your deliverance. I invite you just a moment as, as we sing to come down the aisle. And I would love to pray with you. If you're a believer and you say, Pastor, I've been living way below what I think God has for me. And I want to start living up and expecting some great things of God. Then I want to invite you as we sing to just pray that prayer to Him and say, Lord, I want those expectations. And every day, Lord, as I'm in prayer and in Your Word, You are going to be releasing Your power in my life and through my life. If you sense that God's leading you to become part of our church family, we invite you to come. Lord, have your way with us in these moments as now we respond to you, Jesus, in your name.